haven't even gotten it yet. It's kind of like when you go to the, like, the walk-up counters for food and the tip jar. It's like, I don't know. I haven't eaten it yet. I haven't, you know, you, I, I don't, I don't know what, you know, I'm, I'm willing to, uh, Oh, I know that. Take a chance. Yeah. Take a chance. Four Well, if Rachel, Rachel let me know that during communion, uh, I didn't get into the chalice, but apparently on the uh, credence table, a spider dropped into the fluid of wine. Oh, oh my God. Holy oh, <laughs> 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 spider. Well, that would have been considered a very evil moment. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> when, when does that happen? Today. Oh. But it didn't, it didn't, I didn't see it, nor did I pour it into the chalice. And of course, it's, you know, it's 18% alcohol, so whatever was there was, you know, killed. Sorry, sorry, it's me, it's me, me. Oh, oh, I know. Well, the problem is that, that, you know, we do a little bit in there because obviously the rest has to be, um, Zoom, you just like, okay, yeah, we got a good dip. Having a party up there. And then you have to teach. It's the fullness of our Lord either way. You have a joyful heart. And you and, and, and we'll, give us more <laughs> So, all right, let's, uh, let's finish up, John. Uh, you know what? I'm going to turn the lights on. Just like you see better. I'm already kind of blind. Oh, yeah. Huh? John 21. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures written for our learning. Grant me in such wise, hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. That by patience and comfort of thy holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which has given us in our Savior Jesus Christ. Get this closer to the what I'm saying. All right. So we're finishing up John today. We I think we decided um, that we would do um, Revelation during Lent, at least part of it. Right. That's we. I think that was the. Now I'm gonna. I'm gonna. We're not gonna fly through it. So I. I suspect that that Lent might be a few chapters of it. Um. It would actually. What would actually be really good in Lent probably would be the first three chapters because we could do the introduction, and then we could do letters to the churches. There's a lot of Old Testament allusions in them, which is a prophetic message. And then we get to Easter, we get four and five, which is really worship. So we can get into the risen, ascended Christ, and we can. So, uh, but um, that's good. I just, I'll, I'll um, yeah. So we'll, we'll figure out how to approach that. I, I just there'll probably be a lot of Old Testament references and things to go look at and read and understand. So we'll feel free to digress that way. Okay, John. So before we jump right into John, um, we should be aware. I think most of you are aware of it, but let's um, let's look at uh, two review two things. First of all, um, Luke chapter five. So you, you can just listen. I'm going to read a story from Luke. Yeah, John twenty one, but Luke chapter five. This story of the miraculous catch by Peter, Luke chapter 5, is the background, or part of the background, for what we're going to get in John 21. 
Uh, and so I want to just for the you know just to read it so it's in our mind. It's our gospel for somewhere in Trinity season, so we hear it regularly. But um, so I'm reading from Luke chapter five, verse one. So it was as the multitude pressed about to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Genesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and caught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out in the deep and let down your nets for catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they both began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with them were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And of course, we're understanding that John's gospel is this John. So it's a story he's familiar with. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for now on you will catch men. So when they brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. So what we have here is the initial call of Peter. He is, um, you know, he leaves his fishing business and along with uh, Brother Andrew and James and John, who clearly were in the same maybe, you know, area of fishing with them. Now, then the other backdrop for our John 21 story will be John 18. Um, So he promised he's gonna catch the fish and he caught a lot. Well, they brought him in. The, 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 the story does <laughs> say that, that they put the, they filled the boats with them. If you if you watched, um, if, if you've watched any of the chosen, yeah, they, they have they have portrayal of that catch, which kind of gives a little bit. It's a it's a it's a portrayal of the life of Jesus that's available online called The Chosen. Yes. And what you do is you, you download the app. You go on your app store in your phone. You put in The Chosen. You download the app. And then it, it you have any device that casts it to your TV. I didn't understand quite how that worked, but it, I figured it did do that. But there's a story of, of the call of, of the fishermen where it shows all the fish overwhelming the boat, so give you a visual eye. Now, the other part of this is something we just read a little while back, but um, um, in, in the Passion narrative, um, Peter stood at the door, chapter 18, um, verse 15 and following. Chapter 18 of John, verse 15 and following. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went to the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in also. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not one of those man, this man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. And verse 18 gives us a stage prop that's going to recur in John 21. Now the servants and the officers had made a fire of coals and stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood there and with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciple and his doctrine. goes on down to... Um, Verse 25, and Simon Peter stood outside and warmed himself. 
Therefore, they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of whom, of whose ear, of him whose ear Peter cut off, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. So the, these two stories <clears throat> provide the background for a, a, a large section of John 21. Peter's the miraculous catch of Peter's initial call, and the threefold denial of Jesus by Peter in the courtyard by the fire of coals. So now we go to John 21. So after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And showed himself really means revealed himself. It has more of a, not just, hey, it's like, it's a revelation. And, and, the, and the revelation in the story fits the cryptic pattern of revelation, of resurrection revelations in that they don't really recognize him, but then they know him. So... I think the resurrection accounts continually make the point that you can only know the risen Christ by revelation. <clears throat> you can't know the risen Christ just by looking at him. It's why people can read the Bible, it says right there he rose, and not, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's why proving the facts of the, re of the resurrection do not... Um, make people believe the resurrection. You can only know by revelation if he, he reveals himself to us. So Jesus showed us the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee, the same sea that they all um, fished on in the north. Um, and this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. So what, um, what drew these seven, we don't know. Uh, they're probably, it seems that the sense is that um, Easter has happened, but then... Um, People have somewhat gone back to their homes, and we haven't yet. Uh, and Peter, probably has some lingering doubts about his his uh, fitness to be the rock on which Jesus will build the church. And um, I think this is uh, a, a significant. <clears throat> way that we should read the story because it it if you've ever failed in such a way that you feel rather disqualified from um, following Jesus it's it's really a story about grace so why is Peter going fishing when we saw in Luke 5 he forsook all and followed him and now he says I'm going fishing and, and the idea would be, I think there's some implication here that um, they are returning. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go back to their yeah, door. and go make some money and mm -hmm. and uh, and so Simon Peter said in verse three, "I am going fishing." I said to him, "We are going with you also." Now. This is commercial fishing. Right? This is not, you know, dad and his son with a, a real <laughs> go down. Let's go fishing and, yeah, spend some quality time together. Yeah, yeah. So we we, we have fish. We fish. Oh, yeah, we're going to eat what we catch, but, it, you know, it's not going to be profitable in that way. And so we were going with you. So they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Now we hear the echoes of the Lucan account, right? They, we toiled all night and caught nothing. So they're after a fruitless 
night of labor, there they are as morning comes. When the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus and did not, um, it's, did not understand, did not see, did not perceive who this, who this was. Um, later on in the story, it says they were um, 200 cubits uh, out. And uh, a cubit is about a foot and a half. So we're talking about a, a football field length, goal line to goal line from the land, which is not so far, but it's, you know, necessarily see someone that that readily. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And I think we're thinking, children, I mean, because it's, you know, he's, he's, it's early in the morning. Um, I went, uh, I was here a couple years ago and we kind of got one out on the Sea of Galilee early in the morning, just kind of standing by there and you could, you know, it, it, you would be able to hear someone. It's quiet. It would echo, but that's. Now, it's interesting. What is, what is, how does he refer to them? <laughs> Children. It's, it's a word that John picks up um, in his epistle. Uh, Children. Um, and there's a lot of implications to it. Uh, First, it's a familial reference because um, now these are the new family of God, the children of God. They've been made children of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So um, there's a familial, they're not as, um, in the, in, as St. Paul will use, slaves but sons, but also their children. So they're young, and they don't get anything yet. And so there's a, there's a, you know, they don't really understand very much about what's happened, what's happened, you know, and they're, so they're, they're in ignorance. So have you any food? They answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. Now, unlike the Lucan story where they'd already cleaned the nets and casting the nets would require a great deal of effort. That's part of the point of St. Luke's miraculous catch story is that, you know, you clean the nets. You're all, it'd be like um, if you ever worked in a restaurant in a kitchen where you have to clean it out and spray down the mats at the end of the night, you're done. It would be like some doing that. Someone says, "Okay, now we got a party coming in. Let's cook again." Like, oh, let's not do that. But here, they're just out there, so it would. Oh, try, this might be. Who knows what they're thinking? Maybe some guy. Well, why not? You know, somebody fisherman yelling from the ground. There's a school on the other side, so. So they cast. And now they're not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Now, we've talked about revelation in the resurrection narratives, and there's always something through which Jesus is revealed to people. Uh, Mary, it was the name, speaking the name, the intimacy of the closeness that she knew. Peter, his original revelation was through fish. Peter knew how to fish, and he knew that you didn't just get two boats full of fish unless something really weird had happened. So um, for this, this, the epiphany here is that Peter knows there's only one guy who could ever do this, and that's Jesus. So, um, or, uh, or we should say here in verse 7, the first awareness is St. John, who's always quick to point out that he gets it first. Um, Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, is the Lord. But John, who also was there for the miraculous catch, 
immediately makes the connection. Peter, uh, who, is, who is probably a little slower on the take, it's like my friend Bishkei used to say, they, they said he called him the rock, but he said it was for Rocky as being kind of thick and, and um, so now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, he had removed it and plunged into the sea. So you get aspects of Peter's personality, a little slow on the take, but impulsive once he gets it in you go. You know, a hundred mile, a hundred yards, if you you know, swimming like if you ever watch the Olympics, people swimming, oh, a couple laps up and back, and they're like, if you get in a pool and swim up and back, it, it's hard. In a hundred yards of swimming, most of us like, you know, okay. Um, it with so especially in you know in a, in a lake, cold, all that kind of stuff. Um, in verse eight, but the other disciples came in a little boat, like they were like, ah, uh, maybe not. <laughs> And he has his outer garment, so yeah. you have drag. Can you imagine that? <laughs> I never quite understood that, because yeah. most of us would take it off to swim. But maybe the idea was he was aware that if he swim naked, he would get to the shore <laughs> naked, and that would be problematic in its own way. It might be symbolic of something, but he's putting on Christ. But the disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits. The cubit, uh, the ancient measure of cubit, it's, it was from your uh, elbow to your fingertips, which is 18 inches. That's, you realize, because how can you measure, that's the, if you're measuring, that's your easiest measurement. Not everyone's, you know, cubit's going to be exactly the same, but it's about 18 <laughs> inches. I, I heard that the royal cubit was 22 inches, but this is probably just an ordinary cubit. So, take your cubit, multiply it by one and a half, and you have your feet. The dragging the net with fish. Then, as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. So the fire of coals is the stage crop, the charcoal fire, same word that connects us back to John 18, and Jesus warming his hand by the charcoal fire as he denies Jesus. And that's the only place in the New Testament there is a charcoal fire. The only other coal is um, uh, that by doing good, your enemies will keep coals of fire on their head. <laughs> And that live coal yeah, on the mouth of the, yeah. Yeah. the prophet. Well, that's Old Testament. Yeah, I'm just saying, so the Old Testament has a, has a, a few more fires like that. Um, now, what's what's interesting about verse 9 is, of course, Jesus has said, do you have any food? The implication is, you know, we need some food. And um, I need some food. But they come back bringing all this fish, did Jesus need any food? No, he had some food. Jesus is already providing food. And I think there's a, a, some symbolic and subtle things here that, that are still going to result in all these men being called back to their apostleship is like, I'm going to feed you. I don't need you to go out and, 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 and this is a restoration. Here, here I am, I'm providing there's a Eucharistic imagery here, Jesus providing the, the meal for them. Um, and uh, if Jesus said, then bring some of the fish which you have just caught, he's going to cook some of that also. Um, but St. Peter went out and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. Although there were so many, the net was not broken. You know, there are commentaries that make symbolic um, points of it. Uh, I just think that they were so astonished at how many is this? I wonder, if, like, how is this compared to the last one? 
Because I don't think we I don't think we're giving a number in, in Luke's gospel. They were large. Sometimes people say that it's like we come from the oneness and we have five senses. You give all your senses over to the Trinity. There's Whenever there's numbers in the Bible or tradition, you can run. With them. And, and it's, you know, I think they're, they're, they can be, those are all good applications as long as we don't um, allow it to take us too far from the clear point of the story, which is the recalling of, of, of the apostles. Somebody, somebody will run amok with them. <laughs> there's, you know, I mean, you know, we get to Revelation, 144,000 on Mount Sinai. Will that end up being the complete note? For some people, this is the the real number of the elect. And the Revelation will have all kinds of numbers that people will run with. Um, but it's not 126. It's 144 for some reason. You know? Yeah. But I don't know. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't mean it's without symbolic value, especially when especially in a book full of symbolism where it's where it on the face of it has symbolic value this john john what john has to say often has symbolic value but it's also a real story so there were actually 153 fish when saint john in revelation sees 144,000 in mount sinai it's clearly a symbolic number there's not just 144,000 saved so this is something that we have to be, you know, we have to be, when we read the Bible, we have to understand, you know, the genre of literature we're in and and understand how it's understood and, and work within that, that framework. A lot of the errors in Revelation are making literal that which is symbolic. And conversely, a lot of the errors the other way are making symbol, too high symbolic that which is Somewhat literal. He made 153 fish. What's that? They're going to sell the fish, so you can't be counting. Well, you, you, I mean, if you just went to the, got your coins out of the slot machine, wouldn't you? How much they get? You, you might want to know. I mean, it's it's a pretty, it's a This is this is money for a fisherman. Yes, a lot of money. And and I, it it could well be that they took this to the market, sold it, and that's how they went on to live for a little while until they had settled in community and 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 there's a whole lot of practical things it's kind of like um in the story of the coming of the magi they bring gold and frankincense and myrrh present gifts and they're all symbolic meaning but these are also going to support the holy family who's about ready to run off to egypt a poor family so they have some resources to support them there so you know, there, there, there's, there, there's symbolic value here, but there's also, you know, this is also probably Jesus. Okay, I'm going to call you back. Yeah, I'm going to feed you. Hey, you need a little money. There's a whole lot of ways that this is, this is probably working. And there was this... Uh, fish market in, in Magdala. Actually, that's one of the best places to go. Uh, one of the few places that has, um, I, I personally, I'm, I'm jaundiced, so don't, I'm cynical, but um, Magdala has a really nice uh, church and sort of uh, hotel there, and, the, and the, they have a priest there that one, one of the few people we encountered without a real sense of ministry in the Holy Land, Father Kelly. And actually, there's a, a young woman who's at St. Mary's in Denver. Her name is Emily, and she's getting married uh, Monday after Low Sunday. I'm going to Denver to do it, who, who actually um, was in Magdala, kind of worked under Father Kelly some, and she had the same, you know, he, he, uh, but, they, but they have in Magdala um, excavations of the old, fish processing place. So this is probably where fish were brought and you could see the, the village because Magdala is a fishing village just right in that same region. It's all very close. Um, verse 12, Jesus said to them, oh, one other thing about the net was not broken. Um, since they went fishing, I'm thinking they borrowed someone's net. So it's probably a pretty big deal because they break the net. 
So the net was not broken, might have that ice he'd like to use, okay, we can provide for you. There's a couple of miracles here that normally that might that might tax the net. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. And that's the cryptic thing. Got land, here he is, come eat. You know it's the Lord, but it's like, if it's not, the risen Christ never asks, oh, hey, let's enter back into the thing we used to have. There's now some kind of, I don't know, um, yeah, some kind of, of, of something about his appearance that both can look ordinary, but also recognizable when he reveals, and that we know that from like the story of the road to Emmaus, the two men walk with him about seven miles, and, and only when he goes like, oh, so I think that's, um, it's cryptic, but I do think the point is that you only know the risen Christ by revelation. And that's meant, I think, a message to all that we could be able to say, well, if only I could have been there to say, well, that really isn't the case. It, it, you, 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 you can know Christ as he reveals himself to you, and he'll probably reveal himself to you, you know, Peter with the fish, fisherman with fish, but you will probably experience the, the sort of revealing power of Christ through something you get. Yeah, you know, more personal thing, that's right, that you'll understand, where you'll see that sort of twilight zone moment. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it only you know, yeah. And that's it's, and I think yeah, yeah we'll just leave it there. So um, <laughs> no one said, "Who are you?" Knowing it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish, feeding them, who had who had who had fished all night to get food. He's feeding them. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Easter night, in John's telling, Easter night, a week later with St. Thomas, and now this. If you're harmonizing all the stuff and you, you, you try to get the road to Emmaus story, I think that um, John, you know, John would probably would group that as two guys aren't the group of the apostles, the, the group revelations he's focusing on. And he seems to truncate, therefore, the Mary Magdalene in that too, because really in John is Magdalene, then the 12, then the, and then the 11, Magdalene, then the 10, then the 11, because the Thomas is gone now, and now this. So he's, 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 if we're harmonizing with the fact that it, it seems like other revelations, other appearances happen, he's really talking about the group of the apostles. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? There, there's a lot of debate about what that means, what's the reference of the these. Um, some translations actually supply extra words. Do you love me more than these others do? Um, to me, um, it makes more sense in context if the reference is to the fish. Love me more than these. You've gone back fishing. I called you to be an apostle. And, and, and part of this now is Peter, Jesus calling Peter back away from them, reaffirming his call with the grace that is that happens here with the threefold affirmation. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
He said to them, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Peter might not get it yet. But you certainly would later on, just like he didn't get who was the Lord yet. But um, John, yeah, John, John clearly understood what was happening here. Peter was grieved because he said the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I ask a question. So yes. is, when he says, Lord, I love you, I've heard that that's a different word. But yeah, there, there's a little back and forth with with the uh, uh, brotherly love and the and the agape love. Um, Does Peter use the brotherly? He just comes back and says. Um, I mean, you don't have to look it up. Well, I was, it's a simple thing, actually, to look it up if I can find it. Okay, and then get to it. And then Peter responds to Philos, and then I heard the third time Jesus said, do you love me, Philos? Like, brotherly love. Okay. And then... So I, I've read some commentaries on it, and, and you know, I think there's not... Um, there's not an, a, a really obvious thing, but you can... Um, so he said to him, um, do you love me? <clears throat> the first one is, is, is agape. Um, yes, you Lord, you know that I love you. You're right, okay, so phileo. So he asked if you love me with agape, and Peter responds with um, brotherly, the word for brotherly, what we call brotherly love, from which we get the city of Philadelphia. Um, he says, feed my lambs. Second time, do you, do you love me? Same agape, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Again, responding with, with uh, phileo. Third time, Simon said, do you love me? Um, Jesus says to him, Simon said, do you, do you phileo love me? Uh, and, 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 and Peter uses all three times that, that phileo love. So, yeah. I just think it's, 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 um, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I just think it's, it's a parallelism that just highlights different things. Like in Hebrew poetry, you often have repeating lines that say the same thing with slightly different words to highlight the point. So I don't think there's any, you know, just, it's like if you're writing a sentence and you first said, you might juxtapose different words, you're not repeating them again and again. Yeah, equally. They were called children. Children, but then he's them into adults. The lamb is, is the word used most often for sort of the lamb of God, Christ. Um, the other one, you know, uh, I, I don't know that there's... That it, that it is necessarily um, the word sheep is not baby sheep versus adult sheep, it's just sheep. So, um, it seems like in our own word, we tend to use sheep when we're talking about the wool we're going to get and lamb, we're going to eat it. Yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> but, I think Peter's the love, like he's recognizing capability to love. Us and the other brother, Jesus is asking. I'm not sure that that uh, 
um, at the time of the uh, resurrection appearances that the disciples even have fully gotten the redefinition of agape that we characterize in the New okay. Testament. <clears throat> so you're talking here very early on, you know, and Jesus has used various words, you know, for love, but I don't think it's, it's we're not yet, we're uh, a few decades in 1 Corinthians 13. Yeah, it's not developed yet. <laughs> so he's saying the closest love that yeah, a man he, would have for another man, like a brother. I think that's right. I think that's right. Okay. I think that's right. okay. And if anyone is interested in these various ideas of love, C.S. Lewis's The Four Loves is a good book to read to kind of get the nuance of that and what uh, how agape is um, distinct from phileo and storge and eros for the four loves in Greek. So he's calling Peter back, who has failed in a um, miserable way. And if you've you know, tried to follow Christ and you haven't experienced that, you probably aren't honest with yourself. <laughs> but the point of, and this is, I think, you get in this encounter between Jesus and Peter those um, that the, what what I consider to be the, the sort of devastating characteristics of grace, which is the embrace just as you are, which is fully convicting, but fully affirming. And we can, <clears throat> our own sense of God usually skews in, in one of the two paradoxical, it's a paradox that God fully embraces you and welcomes you no matter as you are, um, but also it's going to fully consume you and challenge you and, and, and change you. Um, we, we tend to, to make grace just um, just like God loves you so much, it doesn't really matter. So it doesn't really both confront the reality of what you've done in a convicting way, but just like, you know, an indulgent parent. Or we tend to err on the legalistic side. You've got to do these things and, 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 and have some idea that God loves you, but hey, you know, you really messed up and everybody's feel bad about it. You know, and, and, and lean on the guilt or lean on the unconditional acceptance when the, the true dynamic of grace is is um, it's unconditional embrace and acceptance combined with thorough conviction. And that's the devastation, which can only change you. And that's the motive for authentic Christian service to God and others is the transforming encounter with God's own love. Only when we've known what it means to be both fully convicted and fully embraced can we go out, we, we have a reference point for how we're really supposed to love other people who annoy us and do, you know, and we, but we're going to, okay, we'll see. God just came to me and fully embraced me, so... And yet, not act as though what's wrong isn't wrong. But we can can we sit with people and and as Jesus is clearly being patient with Peter as they grow through, not pretending that wrong is right, but also not rejecting that sort of patience of relationship over time. This model here, um, free from finger pointing and guilt mongering but also free from mere indulgence, like it doesn't matter. That's, that's, and I, I, think, I think some of the issues that come up in, in church with people's experience of God's love result from the skew of that in one direction or the other. A lot of fundamentalist churches will, will skew to the guilt, <clears throat> so you know God loves you, but you, 
you know, he's pretty afraid of that. Um, and we're more in the, in a contemporary sense into indulgence. That's loving. He wouldn't. And, and the true, the true experience of grace is that paradoxical combination. And, and uh, one author said that, that heresy is always the attempt to resolve the paradox in one direction. And it's just a paradox. You're fully embraced, but there's a full conviction and demand to, you can only, if you experience the love of God, you can, and you can only be consumed by it and be changed by it. Well, I think that's our experience in the life of prayer. As we come to the altar, that's what we're growing into. And, and we, we, um, I, I think that um, in our own growth in the life of prayer, there's a slow progression into hearing God's authentic voice more clearly and, <clears throat> and hearing, <clears throat> excuse me, false voices, having them recede a little bit. I think it's also why we need a community that can at least begin to try to mirror the voice of God to us, where people can be present with us as witnesses for that. And it's why unhealthy community can really mitigate against it, which is, in my own sense, it's why a lot of, you know, people, now as many people going to church now, people will say, well, I have to go to church. Well, I think this part of the reason is, is of it to really be a place where the, the love of God is experiencing all that fullness of, of that paradoxical reality. And so, so and, and the point is, we have to, you know, we have to cultivate that. How do we cultivate that? By, by growing in our prayer, contemplatively finding space to hear God's voice. And it's a habitual thing we grow into, because it's not like, oh, we've had this experience. It's not like Peter, having had this experience, never got it wrong again, as St. Paul will make clear in some of his epistles, where he says of Peter, I had to pose him to his face because he was a hypocrite. Um, so it's more like we're growing into who we are. And this is what a, this is what a life of prayer and a discipline is, is the habituation towards a God orientation where we come to God, we receive grace anew, grace and conviction anew. And that's kind of what Lent is about here. It's not like you're really bad, you got to do all. It's like, okay, what is. <clears throat> Repentance is this progressive cycle. So we come to Lent again. A heightened season of repentance, not like we're not always engaged in that, but Lent is heightened. Um, it's not like we're just replaying, you know, every year of our life. It's like we're coming at a new place. And, 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 and what is God saying to us now? Because as, as the love of God enters our lives, there are, um, it enters new places of our lives. And sometimes we have a certain door shut. And then it might be this this year might be you're like okay we're gonna we're gonna look at that now and that's God's patience with us. So so that's why we want to stay in a life for prayer, habituate, and and we grow into this experience of God's love. I think that's how we that's my experience. Of it. And I think to to grow we have to be open to hearing God's voice, especially open to hearing God's voice in ways that are contrary to what we always think is what God is saying. That means the, the people who have been armed by the legalistic fundamentalism need to be able to hear the grace. And the people who are always, oh, God just loves us no matter what, need to be able to hear a little bit more of, of, of the call to vocation. Because um, notice here that, and this is the other important thing about this is that the affirmation of Peter is to send him out as an apostle. And the affirmation of us by God is to raise us up so we can be who we're supposed to be as a member of the body of Christ, to serve. And I, 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 there's no sense of human fulfillment that doesn't 
require, that doesn't require some service from us. We're supposed to be connected. And in the body, we receive gifts from others, and we give gifts to others, and we need to be connected. And so Peter's not just being told, oh, you're great, now go home and bask in this experience of grace. It's like, no, go feed my sheep. Now get up and go do your work. Because of the wounds of your sin, you're out running from me, fishing on a boat. Now I'm calling you back to your thing, and that's what kind of the experience of grace for us is. We come back and we experience God's healing grace, and then that enables us then to love. And what the contours of that love, and that's our continual experience. We come to the sacrament. We come and we experience grace. Now go do the good works God's prepared for us to walk in. What are those? You got to figure that every week. Or the other things that you're attached to. I think that's a good point. So the the idea that that if it if it comes to you know fish in and of itself are not fishing wouldn't be an idol, but or, or any any legitimate profession wouldn't be an idol, but it can be if your attachment to it and to to that is is supersedes the the, 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 yeah, the following of God. It is such a beautiful example of, of failure and being welcomed back in in such a personal way. It's yes. really beautiful. And it's it's not, I think, a mystery why John's gospel that begins with the proclamation of the word may flesh ends with the call of a fallen person back to discipleship. That's what kind of applies that if, that, that, that experience brings us back. Verse 18. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you rolled, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death you would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So, that's the exact same words at the first um, Paul, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. But follow me. So there's a renewing of the call. And the the idea that the tradition Peter was crucified upside down because he was not didn't feel worthy to die the same death as Jesus. But it also makes the point that Peter, who in his early discipleship um, and before the Holy Spirit uh, succumbed under pressure, as he himself grew in that relationship, did not succumb. He was he died a martyr's death. So Peter's growth is seen in that he was able to stand up for, for him. And that's what we should see in our lives. It's not that we'll never stumble and never be tempted to take the easy way out. We should we should increasingly grow into our ability to stand firm, bear the cross with Christ. And this is uh, verse 20. Peter then, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who's always beating Peter in the race and seeing Jesus before Peter. One more competition here. Peter, turning around, saw the other disciple whom Jesus loved following, who had also leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, what about this man? So this is um, the constant spiritual temptation to take the call of God to you and compare it with someone else's. So Peter's been reestablished re re as the apostle, prophecy about his mode of eventual death. Um, rather than saying, amen, let's go, what about him? And we always do that. We always want to know what's going on with someone else. 
And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And that's Jesus' clear exhortation is, it's none of your business. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. And what Old Testament examples do we have of people who did not die a natural death? Elijah. Elijah. <laughs> and Enoch. And Enoch in the yeah. original uh, genealogy of Genesis where he walked with God and God took him and he was not because God took him. <laughs> So there's so that, that there could be okay. Well, John's going to have some special kind of thing happen. Um, yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will be remain till I come, what is that to you? So huge spiritual lesson there, which is a really important Lenten thing. Don't worry about in what anyone else is doing. This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. So there's a number of, of purposes for the chapter 21. Um, not the least of which is John clarifying that Jesus did not say he wouldn't die. Because that's an important thing for John to clarify because if if the rumor was that Jesus said he wouldn't die and he did die, you could have the implication that, so John is, you know, you could say that John sung this whole resurrection story mainly to clarify the record about what he said to him, but obviously the other points of the story are pretty important. And there are many other things that Jesus did, which if they are written one by one, I suppose, that even the world itself could not contain the books would be written on that. And it's kind of funny because at the end of chapter 20, he said, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and the believing may have life in his name, which is kind of the end of the story. And then John, oh, yeah, I got to add this. And he's saying here yeah, now, he could, this could happen continually. Oh, yeah, I got to add this. Oh, yeah, I got to add that. So he's just saying, okay, I could write a whole bunch more stuff, but this is, this is where I'm. This is where I'm dropping it. Eighteen. Verse eighteen. Yeah. That when Peter was young, he could go wherever he wanted to go. When he gets old, he'll be arrested by hostile authorities and taken where he doesn't want to go. And, and that's a, a prophecy of, of uh, a martyr's death for Peter. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And then Peter, having heard that, then said, well, he's going to suffer too, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's, it's again, I, I get back to the, you know, the, the, the Mary and Martha story, same, it's the same story of comparison. It, it is that um, the condemnate, the criticism of Martha in that story is not that she made dinner. It's that she saw Mary at the feet of Jesus and, and, and was resentful. So if you're called to serve, serve, with, serve the Lord with gladness. And if you're not called to serve, don't do it, but don't be mad that someone else is or isn't doing it. Because that's that's the problem. Worry about what you're called to do and do a joy. And this is a, a thing about, about giving. If you're really not called to do it and you're doing it because you feel guilty, then don't do it. And that, that's a good Lenten discipline to be clear about. Because to say, like, as, as Peter, you know, Peter's been told, feed my sheep, Peter's got a vocation. When you say, here's what I'm called to do, that means that the things that aren't that, you're probably not called to do. And in order to say yes to your, your positive vocation, you have to say no to things that aren't that. That's a big thing in, in ministry. You know, it's like, oh, you should do all these things. Well, no, you can't do everything. 
And if you're called to do something, that means you have to let something go or delegate it or, or develop other people to do it. When you take it all upon yourself, that's where you get resentful. And, and, and usually it's a fear, well, if I don't do it, no one will do it. Well, then no one will do it. Not your concern. God didn't say, how, how are you going to make sure everything gets done? He said, how are you going to do what I called you to do? All right, so there's John. Uh, we'll start Revelation. Um, I think we might have a little bridge next week. I would say one to read uh, chapter one of Revelation. We won't necessarily talk about all of chapter one, but read it and we can set the table for it and spend a, a little bit of time on that. Are you um, I don't think the schedule had a break. The no, schedule okay. break. You said bridge, and I was like, does that mean just bridge. read it no. for next? I mean that. No, we're going to be. Yeah, I just okay. going to say a bridge from John to. I, the schedule I sent out calls for a review of John next week, and I feel like I feel pretty good we've done John. Okay. So yeah. rather than do a review of John, we will bridge our way into Revelation, provide some connections, some background information, maybe stick our toe in a few verses up. Let us pray. Lord, bless us and keep us. Lord, make his face to shine upon us, be gracious unto us. O Lord, lift up his countenance upon us, give us peace this day and forevermore. Do you have you all with us? Online friends, Nancy, Faye, Mimi, Rhonda, anyone hiding? No, no one's hiding. <laughs> Yes, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's well, good because we're jumping into pipe over the project. But basically, so if he's he's not, uh, <laughs> he cannot do that. That's uh, that will not be okay. We've got Irish bread, and we've got. It does, well, it's a good thing about the misery. It doesn't have to be misery. Irish bread. <laughs> so, anyway, I just thought I'd share that with you. Yeah, that's good. That's so, really we're going to put this here just in passing around. Oh, that bread is so good. I know. I love it. I love that. <laughs> that so we have French baguette over there, and then we have Irish. French. Yeah, I think that's, and yeah, maybe Dave is growing a little bit too, right? Yeah, and you know, well, it's a problem with taking responsibility for situations where it's. Sometimes my kids don't like me when I'm doing the right thing.
You've got to start practicing new patterns. Huh? Time to just break those patterns and do new patterns. Yeah. yeah don't be don't be stuck. Don't be stuck. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like we, yeah, I think we should be moving beyond your childhood. For sure. Well, no, it was just bringing up the trigger of like that. Yeah. Like that's what I think you ought to always apologize and take responsibility. Everything bad that happens is you. Yeah. And like let people off the hook. That's the good way to live. I think the other thing about that too, I think it's good to just take a little like when you have that impulse, which will come. Just don't do anything for a day or two. Think before you gather the activity back into a more centered. You know, How do you hold this person to come? The Ruth just says that she's been out all night and she shrimp. Who was? She has got one there. Are you passing these around? Um, and do you have um Hmm. You want me to push stop recording? It's still recording, Bishop. It's still recording. Uh, turn it off. Push leave. Yeah. You can